Welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast. If you love tennis and want to improve your game, this podcast is for you. Whether it's technique, strategy, equipment, or the mental game, tennis professional Ian Westerman is here to make you a better player. And now, here's Ian. Hi, and welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast, your place for free, expert tennis instruction that can truly help you improve your game. Thank you very much for joining me on today's episode of the Essential Tennis Podcast. And today's a little bit of a milestone in the show. We are celebrating our 100th episode. I want to thank everybody who has been with me. Some of you guys have been listening from the very beginning. I really appreciate the support of all of you who listen to the show and download the show on a regular basis. You guys are the reason why I continue to do the show. And thank you very much for your support. I also want to thank my forum members. They're probably the most enthusiastic and the most passionate of, of the people who follow the podcast. And you guys are always a great encouragement to me. Thank you, everybody who posts on the forums. And I want to thank my guests as well who have been on the show, some people many times. And that really helps make the show much more interesting and, and more interactive. So thank you to guests as well who have been on the show. Well, let's go ahead and get on to today's topic. And and by the way, I got good suggestions from from several of you for what to do for the 100th episode. And I probably asked that question a little bit too late. Just didn't have enough time to really plan anything special or fancy. And I'm not really one to do that anyway. So today's just going to be a a regular show besides this intro. Uh, But one more time, thank you everybody who's been supportive and and helping me as I keep on going. Hopefully, not too uh, far in the distant future, we'll be doing show number 200. Let's go ahead and get to today's topic. I'm going to be talking with Jason Cole and answering a listener question. Sit back, relax, and get ready for some great tennis instruction. My guest on the show today is my good friend, Jason Cole. Jason and I played college tennis together at Ferris State University. And Jason, you've been a good friend to me over the years. We, we've uh, shared suites in, uh, in college and shared a lot of time on the courts and um, spent a lot of time with you even uh, since college. And it's really good to have you on the show here. I enjoy talking with you about tennis. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Yeah, we've had a good run so far. Yeah. So uh, today's topic is is going to be interesting, and it's something that I've talked about briefly on the podcast before, but not very in-depth, and I think it's an important subject for our listeners to understand exactly what differentiates different NTRP rating levels, and quite possibly more importantly, I, I really want my listeners to understand the differences between amateur level players even let's say top amateur level players and low professional level players or just professional level players in general and it's something that i feel so many amateur players don't give enough respect to uh, professional players and exactly what they're watching on tv um and so we're going to be talking a bit about that today in answering a question by by a listener and somebody who posts on the forums. But before we do that, Jason, can you please take a couple minutes and 
I, I want people to kind of know where we're coming from as far as our our own playing level. Uh, so can you please give people a, a, a quick kind of background on exactly what, what level of, of tennis that you've played in the past? Uh, well, I played college tennis and then to be quick after college, traveled around to Europe and Canada and several other places and and played some teachers and whatnot. And then I was an assistant coach for the University of Virginia, which is uh, currently the number one team in the country. Nice. So um, in college, uh, as an example, I mean, Ferris State, when, when you and I played there, it was usually ranked like in the 30s nationally in, in Division Two. Is that correct, if I remember correctly? Uh, I think around 20. Was it? it? But okay. whatever, somewhere around there. All right. Uh, so we, I mean, Jason and I both played for one of the upper Division two schools. You know, not the the best college tennis in the country by any means, but uh, certainly up there. And Jason played well ahead of me on the team. He's definitely a much stronger stronger player than I am. Uh, I played the the bottom of the lineup there, and in the past have played in five leagues as well. Um, and I don't have any experience really in playing after college, whereas Jason, as he, he mentioned, traveled around and actually played some lower-level lower professional events. Um, so both of us, ha- and Jason also, as you said, uh, was a college coach at, at um, UVA, which, uh, it, I mean, some of those players are actually uh, tour players, aren't they? They're actually out there playing ATP uh, events these days? Uh, yeah, well, Sam Dev Devarman uh, was the number one guy on the team. He won two national championships while I was there. Uh, and he's currently ranked like 130 in the world. Nice. So, yeah, there's pretty much everybody on uh, UVA's team is ranked somewhere around 900 or below. Okay. So they're, they've all got points as juniors. They've been winning future titles and stuff like that. So it's, it's really, they're quite talented people. All right. And I, you know, I, I just wanted to go over that briefly so that listeners get an idea of, you know, the experiences that we've had around top level players and, and people that are very, very talented, uh, I just I want people to know that we're not just making stuff up, and and we've we've got some decent experience between the two of us. Um, I mean, neither of us made it as a professional tennis player, but we've definitely been around our, our fair share of of high level players. So um, I just want people to understand that that we've got some some good experience working with not only and Jason and I now both teach full time at private clubs where we interact a lot with 3-0 players and 3-5 players. And so um, I, I just want people to get a good, a good picture of, of the, the big range of players that Jason and I have experience with. Now, let's go ahead and get to today's question. So take me a couple of minutes to, to fill you guys in exactly on, on everything that this question asker wants us to talk about. And then Jason and I are going to go into a discussion on different levels of, of players and give this person some pointers on some things maybe he, he can do to get better and, and try to beat a, a player that's a lot better than he is. So this comes to us from Flame Yo in Southern California. He writes and says, I, I'm 22 years old and have been playing, playing and had limited coaching from a 29-year-old year old former pro for a few years. 
I've lost six matches, 6-0-6-0, and earned no games. I only win a few points here and there with some luck. Now he goes into some details about both of them, and I'm going to skip over some of this, but I want to give you guys an, an idea of his perception, the, the differences between himself and this playing partner that he has. He says his background easily beats D2, D3 college tennis players, is in good shape, but not his best. He's a very good coach and played for China in the past. His playing style is a 5.5 to 6.0 attacking, ruthless all-quarter pros. He knows my pros and cons better than me. He's mentally strong and focused, disguises his shots well, instant footwork also unlike me. He says that this player's cons are he hits a one-handed backhand and dislikes a high backhand, and he dislikes low slices to his semi-Western forehand. Now, Flamio, for his own playing style, says that he is a 3.0 to 4.5, very wide range there, and he says his pros are that he's a strong, fast thinker, focused and simple, he has low unforced errors with medium power, uh, he says he has a, a big forehand hitting zone, and he's a very good slicer slash pusher. He says his cons are difficulty reading the disguised shots of this opponent. He has subpar footwork and reaction time, relatively weak physically. He says his flat forehand shots are 50-50 in terms of errors to, to making the shot. Uh, he says he has an okay two-handed backhand, serving, returning, Five years of total tennis experience and two years competitive experience with coaching. Now he lays out a couple of tactics. He says, um, I always play calm, never panic. Plan A is avoid pointless forehand exchanges with this player. He tries to hit high and deep to this player's backhand. And he says, I don't dare to go into the net with uh, against this guy for fear of a passing shot to the face. <laughs> well, that sounds like it's probably smart. Now, he says, uh, results, these types of players are in a whole different level. You sense they are ultra competitive and hold nothing back. I hopefully, uh, I'm sorry, I truthfully won't win a match, but the goal is to earn a few extra games off him. Please share your wisdom on top level players. I'm looking to be more mobile against players that are, that are way better than me and have sound strokes. All right, so... Sorry for the for the long introduction there, but I I wanted listeners and and Jason as well to have a good sense of where this guy is coming from, and, and we've got two players who, here who clearly have a, a a wide difference in ability level between them, and you know this this is something that that I can relate to uh, walking onto uh, the college team at Ferris. Um, I mean, there were players on the team currently that were ranked in the you know in the top ten in Division Two tennis, and uh, were incredible athletes. And I had I had to figure out how to compete with these guys, and uh, there were experiences that I'd never had before. Um, and so I I know where you're coming from, Flamio, and this can be really tough. And having not won a game yet against this player, I, I'm sure it's starting to get a little bit frustrating. Uh, now, Jason, <laughs> the first thing I want to talk about is the differences between NTRP levels. And you and I were talking on the phone about this a couple of days ago. And Flamio makes it kind of tough. He puts himself uh, between a, a, a 3-0 and a 4-5. Jason and I have seen a video of Flamio hitting, and he and I put him around a 3-5 or so uh, based on our, our opinions. Um, so let's say that this oppo opponent that he's playing against is, in fact, you know, uh, 
current, not currently, but uh, previously, like a 6-0 level player. And Flamio currently is a 3-5 or 4-0. I mean, exactly how much of a difference in terms of technique and uh, competitiveness and, and, you know, talent in general, exactly how much of a difference are we talking about here? Let's make people aware of exactly how big of a difference this is. Well, I hate to be the Grim Reaper here, but uh, that's that's just a massive difference. If you if you go onto the USDA website, uh, you can find that they describe uh, somebody at the beginning of a player level as in a 3.00. Be easily beaten 6.060 by somebody who's at the end of that same level, which would be a 3.49. Um, if you're jumping up an entire level, legitimately. Then you should be beat six zero six zero by that person. Uh, so I think at the at the club level, a lot of times what you get is somebody who's potentially the best player there, and everybody thinks they're a six zero because they're clearly <laughs> better than everybody else. Right. And then they, you know, they don't really get an accurate reading. Not necessarily in the example that we're talking about, but uh, even at my club, you know, <laughs> I see that there's one guy who's clearly the best, and everybody thinks he's a five zero five five. You know, in reality, it's kind of a week four or five. So. Uh, two, two things. First of all, uh, and yeah, I was unaware of, of that kind of general benchmark that you just laid out, that uh, a half a point, or I don't know if that's, that's exactly a point or a half a point, but from a, from a 3-0 to a, you know, a half beginning 3-0 to, okay, half a point. So, so that half a point difference that the USTA actually has published saying that it should be a, a 6-0-6-0 match between those two players? Yes. Wow. Yep, it's on there. I, I think that should put it into perspective for people right there. I mean, if you're dealing with a player who's three half a points in front of you, I mean, that's a, it's a clearly a huge difference. Now we're talking about somebody who not, on, not only is capable of beating you 0-0, but can probably do it quite easily without even trying very hard. Does that sound about right? Yeah, but it should be uh, kind of a toy job at that point. It should be a yo-yo. Um, not not to be harsh, but if you're playing a full point ahead, 3-0 to 4-0 or something of that nature, it really shouldn't be much of a match for the 4-0. It, it would be kind of boring, is the way that it's supposed to be described. Now, a lot of times, <laughs> you, you get someone who's a true 3-5 or, or something of that nature playing in a league, and everybody gets beat by a certain guy, 6-2, 6-2, and everybody thinks that guy's a 4 or a 4-5. Right. You know, when in reality, he might just be a 3.9, <laughs> you know, based on their rating. So it's, it's kind of a tricky game to keep someone in an accurate rating, and just because you get beat by that person doesn't mean that they're 10 points ahead of you. Yeah, I think that's really important for listeners to understand and realize. And I, I think that you really accurately pointed out a few minutes ago that I, I think players misjudge and give too much credence to players who, who are better than them, uh, but, but not by so much be, because they just don't have much frame of reference. They don't have a lot of experience on the court against players who are you know in a in a wide range of of levels uh most club club players or, or amateur players play with players that are like them <laughs> and they don't you know they, they might watch 
upper level players play, you know, from from the sidelines, uh, but never actually experience, you know, what a what an actual five zero player is like on the court. And I, I think you're right; that leads to a lot of inflation of opinions on NTRP ratings. Um, now, I, I also want people to to understand the differences between, let's say, a top amateur and a low level professional player, somebody who. Uh, is you know let's say top of division one tennis um, plays futures and challengers that sort of thing it isn't um, isn't winning uh, you know full level ATP uh, tournaments yet but is doing the the challengers and and futures um, and and first of all let, let me point out that a 5.0 level player and I, I tried to find the I tried to find the the link to uh, the USTA uh, page that that talks about the current ratings, uh, but 5.0 players make up something like three or four percent of all tennis players in the United States, and 4.5 and above is like I think eight or nine percent. So just just going with uh, four four or five or five O players, we've already got pretty high level players. Now let's take a difference, Jason, between somebody who is winning matches just at a challenger or future level uh, what tell everybody the difference between somebody who's a, a low level professional player compared to a 50 league player uh 6060 quickly <laughs> <laughs> i mean there's the difference between a 50 and a 60 like i said uh is a full point i mean that's that's not really a competitive match in the least the footwork mm. the serving uh, pretty much every aspect, even if it's not the professional strength, would be significantly better than than what a five volt brings to the table. So it's it's the difference there is about the same as the difference between a two five and a four zero or four five. You're you're seeing drastic differences. And these are players that are not. I mean. And not not to uh, to to talk down the players who have gone out and tried the tour and maybe not been that successful, but um, I mean these are players who are not even really quote making it on the tour, are they? No, but that's a little bit tricky in that yeah, uh, a lot of those players could just be a few points, a few games away. It's, it it does get very competitive uh, on the tour, and it's hard to travel, and there's there's a lot of reasons why you might be struggling if you've earned. 700 or so ranking, um, you know, you're, you're up there. Sure. So these guys who are playing challengers and futures um, and maybe having moderate success, you know, win- winning a match here and there, uh, not winning actual events yet, what, what's the difference between them and somebody who's ranked in, let's say, the top 100 on the ATP Tour? You know, honestly, a few points, a few games, uh, Small weakness here and there. It's it's not nearly as big as the difference between a three zero and a four zero. I mean, really? that's, yeah, you see all the time it happens in futures. Uh, in futures, you have the number one seed be ranked three hundred, four hundred, something like that, and you'll see somebody who's unranked win the future. You know, that's that says something. So but, you're saying that essentially the top. 750 or 1,000 players are, are all pretty close and level, but it's uh, um, what, what differentiates them then? How, how come some guys are, are consistently in the top you know, 20? Well, there's obviously differences. They're better, more consistent at strokes. 
more consistent mm-hmm. with their level, you know, from day to day. Uh, mentally tougher, and and there's a big difference between not big difference, but just a consistency difference between say a top fifty guy and a top two hundred guy. There's, there's okay. quite a difference there in in daily consistency. That being said, their strokes and and everything should be, you know, at a, at a really high level. All right, so so these five O players that are, I mean. Usually, most club club players, in my experience, I mean the, the the best tennis that they ever see personally, meaning on the court right in front of them, is probably a, a strong four or five or uh, maybe a five level. So, so these top club players are just not anywhere near uh, a, a, even a low professional level. Is that correct? Yeah, nowhere, nowhere near. All right, and it's, I I, I hope that. Sport. Go ahead, buddy. It, it would essentially be a different sport watching there. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> All right, well, well, hopefully that puts some perspective for for our listeners. And I mean, what you guys are watching when you're watching tennis on TV. I mean, the the top players at your club, or um, if you don't play at a club, if you just play at a at a public facility, um, the, the the top players that you will ever see out there are just not anywhere near. And I, I suppose that goes without saying. But I, I just feel like. Uh, players a lot of times just inflate the the ratings and um, I think put too, give too much credence to, to upper level amateur players and there's just a, a huge difference uh, between the two. Now let's go. Let's get back to Flamio, Jason. And I mean, what? Wh- where do we start with this um, when we're talking about a three five or even if we say a four zero level player with Flamio? What can we do, or, or what if you and I were coaching him or, or teaching him? I mean, where do we start with actually trying to improve his game so that he can start to take some some games off of this uh, this player that he's playing against? Well, given the difference in levels that he has mentioned, I would say the only legitimate chance of him winning games uh, would be to pick up a monster serve that mm-hmm. can get him three points, uh, making up like three and a half levels of, or two and a half levels of difference. Uh, is, you're talking 10, 20 years at, at least. So I would say if if you're looking to go out and win some games sometime in the next five years and be more competitive, then you, you really need to work on that serve and make some easy things happen there. When you say a difference of, of 10 or 20 years, you're talking about time used to, to train, I assume? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It, people, you, know, you can move from a 2.5 to a 3.0 quite quickly with practice. You can move from a 3.0 to a 3.5 even quickly. Once you're talking about moving from a 4.0 to a 4.5 or 4.5 to a 5.0, that's taking a lot of years. You know, unless you're a junior who's at Balateri or something that's given a real good opportunity to train. Um, assuming he's not in that category, that's you're, you're looking at a lot of time put in to beat the person's overall game. So if you're looking to get cheap points, pick up a monster serve. Yeah, and I where Jason's coming from with that, everybody, is is basically once these two get put on level ground and it's just in in an exchange back and forth, 
uh, and you know the point has essentially started, and they're both on neutral ground. Um, I mean, this 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 upper level players strokes are are just not really going to be phased by by the ground strokes of, of Flamio. I mean, he's seen he has seen in the past so much more pace and so much more spin that Flamio's ground strokes are going to have to pick up and level significantly to really ever be able to pressure this guy consistently. And that's what it's going to have to take to, to win games is consistently pressuring him from the baseline. Um, it's, it's not going to be, oh, I'm going to get a big forehand, and when I hit that big forehand, one shot, I'm going to win a point. Against players like, like this who have good anticipation and you know incredible quickness and really good athleticism, uh, it's going to take more than one good shot per point to be able to win points consistently. And that big serve that Jason is talking about could tip uh, points in, in your favor by giving you an offensive opportunity right away to set off the points. Uh, it might not be with you know an ace or an actual service winner, uh, but you could at least set yourself up with an easy ball that you could hopefully then attack on again and put away. But, I mean, starting off on neutral ground, his entire game is really going to have to pick up a ton to be able to to, to win games off this player, uh, isn't it, Jason? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's improving your forehand, your high forehand, your slice forehand, your backhand, your slice backhand, your high backhand, yeah. your approach shots. Your, I mean, there's so much work to be done to compete at a ground stroke to ground stroke level um, with this guy. That that's really a a lofty goal. And I've seen even against Samdev, who is obviously two-time national champ. Uh, amazing player. I've seen people with huge serves get a lot more games than they should have. You know, if they would have started with a drop feed, Tommy um, would have won six oh six oh. Instead, these guys are battling three and three, four and four. You know, just because they're starting so many points off on the advantage. Yeah, that's that's tough. All right, so so number one, uh, Flamio is probably the serve, and I. Uh, in going through your your YouTube videos, Flamio, I wasn't able to find any any video footage of your serve, so I don't I'm not sure what kind of shape it's in right now. But if you post a, a video of it on the the forums at EssentialTennis.com, I'd be happy to give you some pointers. I'm sure Jason would as well. Um, what would you rank after that, Jason? And I mean, we just talked a little bit about how. You know, essentially, you, you you probably have to just pick up the whole the, the level of every other stroke in your game once the serve has been put back in play in order to in order to to really consistently compete with this guy uh, and, and win a couple uh, win a couple of games. But if you had to pick one thing to maybe rank second after the serve, what what would you tell him to work on? Whether it be stroke or you know tactics or fitness or what do you think would be second most important? Uh. If I can bundle footwork and fitness together, then I'd go that. <laughs> okay. Uh, usually one of the huge things that separates players is, is simply their footwork, their court coverage. Um, you know, when I used to play say against a, a player like Sandev, who was clearly better than me, I could rally with him for six, seven balls. The problem is he's pressuring me through those six or seven and putting me in a bad spot, and then come the eighth ball, he's got a relatively easy shot to take the point. You know, if, if he's playing with this guy and actually in rallies, then he's going to need to be able to last that sixth or seventh ball and not be at a negative point after it and not be so tired that he can't play the next point. Um, and you, usually that's where people fall off. 
Well, and not only that, and yeah, certainly just having the stamina in general is going to help him a lot. But if he wants to attack and actually be able to ever pressure this player, he's going to have to be in impeccable position, in my opinion, to to be able to actually attack and do it consistently and, and hit an aggressive shot that's ever going to pressure this player. And something that Jason and I both noticed for sure uh, while while watching a couple of videos of of Flamio rally was that the footwork was just not there. I mean, it just looked lazy. He just wasn't doing much with his feet in between shots. He would literally walk back to the center of the baseline, and that's just not ever going to cut it against this player, is it, Jason? No, I, this is kind of a blanket statement, but a three five or a four zero player in a baseline to baseline rally. We'll pretty much never ever hit a winner on a five oh five five six oh player. I mean it, yeah. it shouldn't happen. They should be in position the better player I'm talking should be in position and ready to move. You know, unless you're just slapping like crazy and taking one in a million chance, you're not gonna hit a baseline to baseline winner. Um, <laughs> so if you can't keep up with the fitness and you can't hit winners, uh Hitting winners is obviously a pretty foolish goal anyway against somebody that high, that much higher, but there's no way you can you can pull that off. All right. Well, Jason, anything else to add to this before we, we start wrapping things up? Any other thoughts on differences between NTRP levels or differences between amateur and professional level players or um, any other last tips for, for Flamio before we start wrapping things up? <laughs> well, good luck. Uh, I didn't mean to uh, sound negative uh, about your chances there, but I would say if you get a chance, watch the fitness of people who are a higher level than you. Uh, obviously, there can be some people who are heavy and just hit the ball real clean and have a, a great history, but usually, as you see a better player, you'll see a more fit player, and it's it's just hard to get around that. So. Good good luck, sir. I hope that you can take this guy uh, take this guy a little bit closer than you have in the future. In the past, I think you mean. Well, in the future, taking closer, but yeah, that oh, was okay. on my part. Right. <laughs> Just wanted to clear that up. Um, well. And, and yeah, let me re- reiterate what Jason just said. Yeah, Jason and and myself talking about uh, this topic. It certainly was not our intention to discourage anybody or or to talk down at anybody uh definitely not in the least um on the other hand we want to make sure that everybody's realistic and knows exactly what they're getting into when they they talk about raising the level of their game by you know three three halves of a point um and it's not that it's impossible it's it's not impossible but if we're talking about the difference between a 30 and a 45 or definitely 35 and and 50 you guys need to be prepared, especially if you are past your 20s, let's say. I mean, you need to be prepared to really focus on this and, and be in it for the long haul because it's not a simple thing. It's not an easy thing. Uh, the, the, the tactics and the, you know, the technique of it uh, is probably something that you understand and you can see the differences, but actually being able to do it and do it consistently like Jason was talking about, the differences between the lower-level professionals and the upper-level professional players is being able to hit that better shot consistently again and again and again. 
and it's kind of the same thing between a, a three five and a and a five and a five zero is uh, well, no, actually that's not that's not correct because techniques are, are very different there. Let's say um, uh, let's say between a four five and five zero, uh, four five players are are able to definitely hit solid shots, uh, but not quite at the same consistency level, and, and not you know just not as often as the five zero player. So. Anyway, you guys just need to be prepared to work hard and flame yo. I, I I hope that you have success as well in, in the future. And let us know if you have any f- further questions. And hopefully, we gave you gave you some things that you can actually work on and try to improve to get closer to this player. Um, well, Jason, thanks very much for your time. I, I appreciate you talking to myself and our listeners. It's always great to have you on the show, and uh, I appreciate your input. Thank you. Sir. Right. That does it for episode number 100 of the Essential Tennis Podcast. Thank you for joining me today, and I hope today's show was interesting and informative for you. In today's shout-out, I'd like to give a shout-out to two people who took the time to send me an email. There was a, a lot of suggestions for show 100 in the forums, but two, two people who sent me emails were Carlotta Lane and also Peter in Sweden, who sent me some suggestions uh, for Show 100. Sorry I didn't use your guys' ideas, but I, I really appreciate the input. Lastly, before I wrap up today's show, I want to remind you guys about Essential Tennis Live. Myself and Ron Miller are going to be doing an Australian Open preview show this Thursday live at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you want to listen to that show live or call in and give your predictions, you can go to blogtalkradio.com slash essentialtennis or go to essentialtennis.com slash live and follow, follow the link there to go to the show page. All right, that does it for today's show. Thanks again, everybody. Take care and good luck with your tennis. 